Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Purpose Made Podcast. We are here to inspire positive change in our post-pandemic global society. Talking to business leaders around the globe, discussing the highs, lows and challenges they've experienced. Our hosts, Neil Bestford and Peter Bell, created Purpose Made in 2021 during the height of the pandemic, combining their passion for people, culture and transformational change. They sit down with business leaders and ask, what does the future look like? Don't forget to click subscribe to hear all the latest news and views on our changed global society. Hi, and welcome to the Purpose Made podcast. Who have we got on today, Neil? So today we've got uh, Phil Douglas from Curious Arts. Phil's going to chat through the arts and culture sector and, and, the, and the turbulent times they've had over the last kind of 12 to 18 months through participation and, and kind of moving to a digital world and the challenges and complexities that that's had, but also generally around the kind of LGBTQIA plus community and, and the support that he's offering and through Curious Arts and the different activities and the various approaches he's taking to, to extend LGBTQIA plus community kind of activities beyond Pride Month. So typically June is Pride Month. Then he's looking at kind of removing that kind of pigeonholing of like one month a year activity and then suddenly it disappears for the rest of the 11 months. And how he's, how he's extending that beyond and into an all year round program activities. So yeah, he's great and super, super passionate. So we'll crack on and, and here's Phil from Curious Arts. Thanks, and I'll just uh, try and remember try and remember what you've asked me to talk about on this uh, <laughs> on the morning brain wakes up. But thank you, and good morning. Well, my name is Phil Douglas, and I currently live in Gateshead, but I'm generally a Stockton Teesside born, born and raised person. So Stockton and Middlesbrough is where I kind of grew up and went to school, etc. And I went to uni at Northumbria. So that was my kind of trip to the big smoke uh, as an adult. And I lived in Newcastle. And I studied dance because I was a very non-academic person at that time. <laughs> and I was trying to work out what, what I was actually good at and what I wanted to do. And yeah, since then, I kind of evolved into more, definitely not dancing, put it that way. I was a late starter and it didn't work out for me, but I liked kind of organising things and arts management and, and things like that. So I, I shifted more into kind of being a learning and participation officer and then an arts and events officer. So I've worked quite a lot across 
arts organisations like the Theatre Royal, a children's theatre called Theatre Royal Blue. But I did 11 years, 11 long, painful years at, a lo- at local authorities in like arts and culture uh, teams. So uh, that was at Middlesbrough and Gateshead. I said long and painful, but I also loved them. You know, you make great things happen, but local authorities are slow moving beasts. So um, I stepped out of that. Pretended to tell myself I was going to go freelance, but then bottled it and got a part-time job at Dance City. So that's where I work now. I work three days a week as the Director of Artistic Programmes and Artist Development. And what that means, because it sounds quite long, is looking after the artist and the theatre programme. And then the other two days a week, plus hobby and interest time on weekends and evenings, I run Curious Arts with a small collective of freelancers. And Curious Arts started in 2016. So I looked around kind of as somebody who identifies as as, as a queer man. At the, I was at the ripe age of 30. I didn't think that was going to bother me, but I did kind of look at my life in the mirror at that age and was like, what do I want to do and how do I be a better human? And that's cheesy, but it's true. And I realised I've been doing lots of things with the LGBTQ uh, plus community and also arts and, and culture and festival projects. So kind of looking at those two worlds together that are more my passions, kind of looked around the northeast and thought there's not much going on here. Or if it is going on, it's not necessarily super informed or it's, it seems tokenistic or it's it's kind of pink fringed, which I would describe as when something pops up the week before or after Pride and it's got a little pink banner around it and or rainbow washing your logo, which is totally on trend this year. Have you seen that everywhere? So yeah, that was kind of a, a one-off pop-up festival in 2016, which then evolved into kind of more year-round programs. So we started developing partnerships with different organisations and trying to provide and inform in a, an authentic way like more cultural programs so theatre shows, film screenings, projects that, that represented the LGBTQIA plus community in a much better way where they kind of led into that and fed into it a lot more. So that's kind of a short story of what Curious Arts is and does. We did a really, really juicy festival in 2019. It was like the biggest queer arts festival in the country. It's like 19 days of, of lots of activity across the region. But then like everybody, COVID kind of kicked in in 2020. And it kind of nearly wiped us out a little bit. It was pretty uh, disastrous because we were a very small little non-co-funded team. So from the from a COVID stance, like maybe describe what what the realities were, were like for Curious Arts and yourself. Yeah. So, um, well, since 2016, we've been kind of slowly building and getting a bit bigger. And we already knew we wanted to be a bit more have year-round activity rather than like that flash in the pan festival moment. So festivals are really important because it's temporary. It can be a bit more of a call to action. And I always think like, you know, you might see something advertised at a local gallery, but it's on for three months. So you never go. But if something's on for one day, like a protest or a festival, you know, you, you get, you get off your bum and you go and do it. So I like that about festivals. It's also a bit more responsive. But yeah, we'd already started to think about how do we work with organisations and, and support their year-round programming, put on talent development projects, commission artists to make new work in the region. So we weren't just importing lots of national and, and super exciting artists. We were building talent and and profile for people based in the northeast. But yes, we had um, a northwide kind of artist showcase in Leeds in March 2020. And people were quite distracted on their phone. They were like, look, they were looking at these kind of breaking news things saying like, should we all be in our homes? That was like three days before lockdown. But it was great to do something in person. 
And then, yeah, lockdown happened. And then obviously, I guess it's no understatement that the world changed, didn't it? It was like a, quite an apocalyptic moment. So for us, because we're quite tiny, we are still stuck in this cycle of like fundraising last minute. So we were waiting for a, a £68,000 kind of fund funding bid. And understandably, what happened was the funders kind of cancelled all live applications. So that was a bit like a cliff edge moment for us because we don't have any core funding. And I guess personally, like, I cried for two reasons. I cried from relief that we didn't get £68,000 and then three days later couldn't deliver a festival and would have to deal with all that. But I did cry because it takes like two months to put that whole programme together and, and fundraise it and deal with partners. So there was something quite strange about having relief, which you didn't want to kind of share with anybody that you relieved you didn't get your funding. But I was also mostly devastated that we had like not really a clear pathway about how we're going to survive as an organisation. And when I say that, I mean more like... Well, as I mentioned, 2019, we had a really great festival. We reached like thousands of people across the Northeast. We celebrated lots of um, disabled and, and queer artists of colour. And actually, it felt like nothing of that, none of that could happen, which was, which was quite a lot of pressure. There's not many arts organisations that work specifically with kind of certain communities. So for us, we feel we are holding this responsibility for the Northeast in developing artists and audiences and, and programme for queer communities. So that was really intense. And then we didn't really, because we're not a charity yet, we didn't fit a lot of emergency funding kind of criteria. We're not for profit, just to be clear, but, but we, we don't have official charity status yet. So we're a bit stuck in this kind of no man's land. And then, yeah, we just started applying for kind of scrappy bits of funding. We thought we would do, pretend to go online, you know, like the world went online, everyone got digital digital fatigue and everyone was meeting on Zoom. But we kind of realised that the communities that we serve already had um, some existing kind of considerations like social isolation or mental health, some of the young people or the vulnerable adults that we work with. So we, that kind of wasn't really enough. We did a little project. We did a few things, actually. We did a podcast with local artists in the Northeast just to keep their visibility up, to pay them, and to give people something to, easy to listen to where you don't have to watch the screen. We did a project for young people who might be bored at home and feeling a bit socially isolated or they might not necessarily be able to be in a supportive home. Uh, it was called Queer Creative Challenge. It's like a 10-minute guided video where uh, uh, it'll take them an hour to get through it. But it's a bit like a Blue Peter task. You know, you do it at home and it's like make your perfect home or um, write your first queer rap or something. But it was with really funky um, Northeast artists guiding people through stuff. And those are really good. We did, um, we said, oh, you know, share your creation. But I guess we realised afterwards that was asking people to out themselves on social media by using this hashtag. So nobody really shared stuff, but we had like hundreds of views right till the end. So we knew it was still reaching people. And then we applied for a bit of emergency funding and, and we've realised actually uh, we, we, we're going to do a, a youth group online. So we, we did that. Uh, it was great to get some emergency funding for that. And the first time we met online, all the young people were like, we don't want to meet online. <laughs> so we realised, all oh, right, yeah, like we need to find a way of making this happen. So we started what has ended up being like, a, I think, the first kind of queer forest school in the country. So we kind of hired this this land. It's in Gateshead. It's a it's a forest school and an outdoor site called Burkhead's Wild. And we had great plans for, for young people to come to that and 
do lots of artistic activities, but actually they just want to be around each other. So our big kind of tight agenda of doing lots of great arts activities was a bit ambitious because actually these young people just hadn't been around peers or had any social connection for ages. So don't get me wrong, they still do great arts activities, but it's maybe only like two a session rather than uh, like five that we planned, half an hour this, half an hour that. So I guess we've learned a lot about what happens when your business model gets a big truck hitting it. We were already kind of looking off the track and going, oh, we want to be more, mean more to more people and and have a year-round presence because it feels more more impactful to communities to have that visibility. But yeah, I think with COVID kind of kicking in, it definitely derailed us. Thought like we didn't have a choice. We just had to kind of go, okay, what are we if we're not a festival in July? That we don't mind if people think we're like an arts fringe to pride because we've got great partners and we 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 straddle this kind of space between community members, people who don't go on a, on a gay scene or go drinking, arts communities, people who are just allies and friends of the queer community, like who are just interested in understanding their, their queer friends or family members better. But that was a very much a once a year offer to then suddenly, how do we, well, A, exist as an organisation because our goal is to kind of develop LGBTQIA plus audiences, artists and participation. But the big shocker was like, you know, we lost like more than half our income from not receiving that main funding bid. And we really, when we thought back, actually, it wasn't about myself and the other freelancer. Like we were in a position where we had other jobs part time. But what it really meant was there was like a significant amount of artists in the region who weren't getting that employment. And I don't know how much you followed it, but the kind of, and you might be freelance, I don't know, but the freelance sector, particularly the, the art sector, it was late to the game, the support for them. And I guess, yeah, you mentioned, you, it seems like a little bit like if you ha- weren't able to adapt and go online, um, which I don't think we should underestimate that. There was a lot of crap that went online, let's be honest. There was a lot of terrible, terrible content that went online that put people off. And also it was saturated, wasn't it? It was saturated with the amount of content, like how do you navigate what you want to do? You used to look at a theatre brochure or a cinema brochure and plan your Friday night out and then suddenly everything's online all the time. So it was quite strange to to signpost people to content. But the other thing is, you know, we don't necessarily have the technical skills to put loads of great quality content online. So we did do a few little things. But the main thing we realised is, yeah, artists were just not able to make work. And I think generally across all the arts sector, it feels a little bit like, I don't know if you remember at Christmas or New Year's when all the lorries were parked up at Dover. It's like venues or funding has been made available, so work could be made or rehearsed. But unless it's online, it has nowhere to go. So, like, there's a lot, bit of a backlog, and as what I see, there's also a lot of work, which, um, understandably, organisations are trying to commit to postponed commitments. So, something that may have been on in March or April 2020 is now scheduled to be on autumn this year. But I think there's a massive problem with that about being honest around how relevant is that work it might have been at the end of a two-year tour and about something thematically that feels now much more distant to what people want to consume and I'm not saying everyone wants to see shows about pandemic and lockdown but I think there's something around honesty about how relevant is is my work and also I think that there's still something broken about for the model. If you go and see a show and it has to be socially distanced, how venues or companies ride that box office impact. Do you know what I mean? I think it's 
I think it's still broken and there's still, there's a, it's broken and there's lorries stuck at Dover, like there's work ready to be seen and nowhere to show it. Sorry, that was really rambly and long. No, no, that was perfect. I think you're right in what you're saying about broken because you just take a look at where we are at the moment. We've got, I think, 30 people can attend a wedding or a funeral at the moment, but then we have thousands going to watch football and we have potential VIPs coming from all over the place to attend the final of the UEFA Championships. At the same time, you're seeing the difficulties with regards to industries that have been excluded and forgotten. You've also got the difficulties in, in what you're saying with regards to the arts. Um, like, take a look at Andrew Lloyd Webber, how many times that he's postponed and like tried to push forward new acts and new shows. It must be incredibly difficult for you guys. So it's really difficult to kind of comprehend because there are these industries out there. There's there's millions of them that um, there's campaigns about them and that have been excluded and forgotten. So it's um, it's how do we address that really, and how do we make sure that we can kind of go forward with viable options and um, viable even areas and venues that people can kind of utilize really. So I think from my perspective, I mean, I've, I've been aligned to the kind of the arts and culture scene, I suppose, for, for many, many years with many friends who've either worked in the arts or artists or performers. And, and I think whilst, you know, the government's agenda seems to be just slash funding for the arts because it's irrelevant, which we'll, we'll save for a separate topic. <laughs> but I think from what I've seen and what you're demonstrating there is, is that the arts and culture scene generally in, in the Northeast, but also nationally and internationally is incredibly resilient and incredibly passionate about what they do. And I think they'll, they'll forge a way forward come hella high water. They'll, they'll make it work. And they'll, I think what you were saying there, which I find completely inspirational is that how you've flexed and moved and navigated, but actually being quite honest with yourself about the whole you know, online fatigue and, and not just push load of content out there online because that's what everyone else is doing. It's forging ways to kind of, it's to still create that space and create that environment for, for the, for the LGBTQIA plus community to, to showcase their work. And I think that's just like really, really like, as I say, like super inspiration. I think also coming back to the point you made about like the, the once a year kind of in June, July time kind of pride momentary showcase spotlight on, on the kind of, on the queer community. For me, has, as, as, as a gay man has been just incredibly disappointing for so many years that like, that's the only time that we kind of have a showcase and have a highlight on, on the queer community. And I think, you know, to see some of the work that Curious Arts have been doing and I've followed you for quite a while, kind of, to showcase that and to, to kind of take it out of that, that kind of rainbow spotlight that, that kind of everything, as you said, the kind of rainbow washing of corporates kind of changing their logo for a month and then suddenly it goes back to normal and actually kind of understanding what they're doing. Like, is it just a, you know, is it walking into Primark and having a row full of rainbow colored t-shirts and, you know, but what are Primark doing to support the LGBTQIA plus community? What is it that they're doing? Are they supporting it? Are they funding it? Are they, are they funding artists? Are they funding programs like yours? No, <laughs> like is, is, is the answer. Like, what are they doing? Yes. I mean, there's some great work out there, you know, there are some, um, I think more so this year that there are some demonstrations where, you know, ethical, organizations are showcasing like we are actually you know it's not just a rainbow flag it's we are supporting communities we're funding them we're showcasing talent and all that kind of thing 
But I think that the, the very fact that you're taking Curious Art out of that kind of one month a year pigeonhole and kind of spreading it across the whole year is, is something that I'm kind of fully, fully behind and fully support. I think, is it Burkhead? Is that right? Yeah, Burkhead's by Yeah, so that, it's Fiona and Mary, isn't it? Who yeah. run that? Yeah. And I think what they're doing is, is just is such incredible work. So, you know, taking the outdoors and kind of just, you know, taking pretty much city kids, really, and putting them in outdoor scenario and telling them about kind of wild experiences and how to, um, you know, how to survive in the backwoods and, and that kind of stuff. And I think like, it's mega interesting to see how the queer community have adopted kind of that your work in partnership with them. And, and as you say, just taking kind of young kids and just putting them together <laughs> to meet each other and spend time together and strip back the program. As you say, you went from kind of five activities down to two, just to kind of allow them that space and that time to work together which is amazing. But some of the work that I've, I've seen you doing is around um, working with the arts and culture sector in awareness raising. I don't know if you want to just have a quick chat around that and the training that you're doing in the kind of the almost at like the corporate side of things. Yeah. I mean, that was a key thing that's kept us alive throughout COVID, but I'll just stay on, on the last point around that, that kind of outdoor site uh, and working with Burkhead's Wild. We found something really interesting because we work a lot mainly with, with arts venues or, or cultural venues or council venues but even you know the most well-meaning kind of venue, it comes with a with a preconception of how to behave. So we might work with the Baltic or with a theatre like Northern Stage, but certain people won't come into those spaces because they feel like it's not for them. Like, oh, I don't do theatre, or I won't go to the city because I don't do dance. And the new buildings or the big arts buildings can be beautiful, but they can be intimidating. So what we've realised is actually doing something outdoors. People, everyone owns the outdoors and, you know, yourself in the outdoor space. So it's because it's not a venue with walls or an existing audience. It's really kind of um, softly invited people to, to come who, who don't have to then overcome a, a question about what their preconceptions are about that venue or who it's for. So that's been really interesting. And just going back to what you said before, I think, I think the creative sector is, is incredibly resilient as well. I would totally agree. But there's some things you just can't do from home. Like a lot of students have been dancing on the living room rug, paying thousands of pounds for a degree. And certain students, sorry, certain artists who are like, if if you don't want to shift or be forced to having a digital practice or form, then you have had to particularly um, weigh out this pandemic because you might just want to be a live performance artist. And But yeah, sorry, I think it kind of started with us about three years ago so we'd exist we'd existed for about two two and a half years and and we were just acknowledging that we're having these frustrating conversations with venues about they used to say how risky it was to program lgbtq work or how they had a they weren't necessarily confident about using the the text and the copy that we provided because it used the word queer or, or or trans or something and i understand that because if there's not someone in a programming team or in the marketing team of of a venue or an organisation, they might not necessarily have that that lived experience or that confidence to do that. But my kind of reflection to them was, if you don't program it, the audiences won't come because their response was, "Oh, it's it's really risky because we don't have an audience existing for that." But it's chicken and egg, isn't it? You have to kind of put something on to develop an audience. But yeah, all the things that we reflected on with that were around uh, how do we build confidence or at least a baseline of awareness and confidence for organisations 
And that's everybody, you know, if we're going to take queer communities into venues, we want the front of house staff, as well as the cleaner, as well as the marketing manager, to all feel comfortable and confident that they can support these communities to, to really take take those, those spaces comfortably. And I'm not on a mission to get gender neutral toilets everywhere, but a lot of times you end up talking to venues about these kind of physical touch points and tangible ways that the community can be can be better engaged with. But yeah, it's been a lifeline for us. So we started that training through a conversation with Seven Stories in Newcastle. And to be honest with you, I think they wouldn't mind me saying they had quite a binary kind of space. I don't know if you've been in there. It's like a national uh, centre for stories for children. But everywhere in that building, it was like, blue boy logos and pink girl logos with a skirt and I understand that's the world we kind of have lived in and it's very traditional binary but it was a really good reference point about how othering that can be for a young person or a family who don't necessarily fit those binaries so anyway we developed this training with with seven stories originally and then we're kind of really pushing it now so we've had lots of larger national organizations the whole of the baltics staff and board and the, all of the kind of 90 staff at the stage have been through it but it's kept us going because obviously it, it's part of what we offer as as kind of for us earned income or income diversification but it's also conveniently made it easier for us to work with these organizations because they understand the communities we're serving better but don't get me wrong, there's lots of times when there's a when somebody says something massively inappropriate or there's moments of real disappointment when people in, in significant leadership roles or on, on senior boards, they kind of don't necessarily have a um an open worldview and and you kind of think, oh, this is really this is a real issue because these people are kind of definitely not the gate openers and they're definitely the gatekeepers to resource and decision-making and uh, around who gets to access buildings and, and, and who gets to decide about resources for communities. And I think what also aligns with that is the last 18 months, we've seen a, a, an overdue and very welcomed increase in visibility, visibility around anti-racism and Black Lives Matter and I think there's a, there's a similarity there. And I'm not saying it's absolutely similar. I, I feel like they're very different causes and areas that need social and, and change and improvement. But when you talk about kind of trans inclusion, it's a, it can be a very similar response to people with quite polarizing views. So you, we appreciate that we're going in and trying to offer people some training, but it gets really, really quite deep into intersectionality you know people who can have minority stress because they are black and disabled and and part of the lgbtq community so i think trying to invite people to to sit and think with us about what they offer how they interact with people the language they use it feels like soft activism through awareness training which is which is really useful and we feel comfortable with ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Uh, uh, no, it's, it, I mean, it's an amazing program. And, I've, and I've, I would love to go, I would love to have, like, even as a gay man, like have I go through that training. I think it'd be really interesting to kind of, to see the approach you take and what you do. And I think, you know, this is just from my st- standpoint, I think, you know, it should be effectively similar to a lot of the mandatory, you know, the dull mandatory training that we go through in typical kind of health and safety or, you know, how to carry a box, you know, whatever it might be, it, you know, we should, we should have that level of training at all levels as mandatory training, you know, because ultimately it's a community of people who are marginalized. We are a minority and, you know, a lot of it does, you know, you mentioned about um, arts venues and not being able to, or, or the, the kind of almost the fear around putting programming on around the LGBTQIA plus community just because of lack of awareness or lack of understanding or not really knowing how to how to promote it or what to say, or are they going to offend somebody? And I get it. I totally understand it. Even you know, as a gay man, I still worry about, am I using the right terminology? Am I using the right wording? You know, because it is a, it's a shifting kind of dialogue all the time around what is appropriate to say, what's not appropriate to say. Is it gender neutral? Is it binary? What, what, like, what, 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 what term has been coined now? And I do get it. I totally understand that there is that kind of worry and that fear around even the semantics of things and the wording and how we kind of promote it. But it's so super important that people are made aware. And I think the work that you're doing is incredible around that. I would love to say extend beyond just the arts and culture sector and actually into the corporate world and more around the public and private sector around, you know, the, you know, make it, you know, akin to something like mental health first aid training, which has, you know, blown up over the last few years, which is amazing. You know, I've done it. I've, I've been through the two day course. But the work that you're doing around the kind of LGBTQIA plus community and awareness raising around that and the implications of the fear that people have around using the right word in the right terms and the, the right approach and how do you how do you embed a, a safe space for a specific community to work in? It needs to be done. It needs to extend and, and reach as many people as possible. Because you're right, there are individuals within senior positions who, because they they're not aware of what they should say, they just 
then go the complete opposite and just do nothing. So yeah, so it's a it's a it's something I could talk to all day about. <laughs> but yeah, that fear element I think is what's ultimately holding a lot of people back with regards to especially in the corporate world. So that's probably why you do end up seeing some of this like basic, oh we'll we'll change our logo and, that, and that's about all I do. It's because, you know, like they're totally kind of unaware and that awareness piece that you guys can bring and it's it's incredibly important because like as a straight man like you want to be supportive you want to be kind of there and you want to kind of um, help your friends you know through whatever situation they're going through because like the lack of awareness that's there from being a straight guy is just you don't fully grasp every element of it and you want to be embracive of something but you just want to kind of be kind of almost have communities to connect the dots and it's it's really irritating that the difficulties that you guys have to go through because yeah the barriers that are put up in front and it, I think it's it's tragic and you know as 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 a society we're evolving um, through covid we've seen this when has fear been useful for anything it just holds us back so and i think that's that's sadly what we're seeing a lot in, in the corporate world and in the world in general and people are just fearful of what to say what to do and it's it's holding us back from the progress from the progress and change that's needed yeah and i think with that I think include, when we talk about inclusion, it's for everyone, isn't it? It's not like about leaving people behind who were already included. Like it's not trying to give people less. It's just trying to include everybody in a bit more of an equitable way. Um, and I think you're right. I think fear is is kind of it's like a paralysis. It means they'll do the minimum, or they'll just you know. I think also the the, the Equality Act is quite responsible for that as well because large funders, policy organisations, they're always going to be a little bit behind the times because language and how people identify and 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 what's happening to community is is always going to be what then informs policy change so i mean with the um the census and that was great to see uh, you know a little bit of movement on questions around gender and sexuality it was a little bit more open it was a little bit more reflective about i don't know how to use the word but modern society and how communities identify which is really useful because eventually when all that data is processed that's going to inform actually um, you know, policies and the NHS. So I think it was really good to see that as a as a positive. But you're right, I think everyone needs to be a little bit more uncomfortable together to get to have change, but also let, not letting fear hold things back. And, and as long as we're all clear on the, our positive and respectful intention, I think it's okay if you, if people make a bit of a, a blunder or you make a policy misstep. But my big question at the moment, because it is June, is when you see a rainbow flag, a rainbow logo, you're kind of like, oh, and what else? Because it does feel uh, quite performative. Which is why I kind of like it when people do it, not in June or July. And like <laughs> they go, actually, we, we these communities or these issues matter to us or our organisation or our staff year round. Because I think we see it as well with like Black History Month in October, suddenly September, and lots of um, uh, black or, or, or kind of people of colour get phone calls to come and speak at universities and do workshops. And it's it's kind of visibly tokenistic. Yeah. Yeah. So what does what the future look like for for curious arts what's in the pipeline um, we've got some exciting projects so we are looking at a curious summer so it actually kicks off next week we got some funding to do some activities and 
they're very much kind of socially distanced out family friendly kind of picnic based activities across the region of the northeast but we're also doing fundraising cabaret because we need to raise some funds and, and stay alive <laughs> so that's it at Gosford Civic we've got a few events which are like a digital and live in person socially distanced but we've got some plans to over the next few years kind of I guess really embed our our kind of youth group provision. So we're really conscious that we're aware of 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 what that there's a gap there in terms of a specialist kind of LGBTQ kind of arts or creative supported meetup. So we're hoping to, to pilot some of them across the region. We've got one in Newcastle already, but I think we're really interested in in how do we work better to to help communities take this space. So what we mean by that is we don't want to open our own theatre because we know like venues are challenging um, to run and also we don't want to kind of create that, again, that kind of ring fence. This is just for this type of work activity. We enjoy kind of um, through osmosis kind of queering up people's programmes and it's, so it's, it's in year-round activity and people feel invite, are more invited to existing venues. But we are trying to get our hands on some some cottages so we'd like to do something where we look at an accommodation offer for artists for residencies and what does it look like these cottages exist in a park already and they're not being used so we're like oh can we have them for five years it's a pretty cheeky ask but we're going for it and but the other idea is what does it look like to have again somewhere in an outdoor space like a park a venue where community groups can meet it feels that there isn't necessarily it's not a bar space it's not a space that's already got these pre-existing kind of assumptions around it but yeah we'd like to kind of move into places a bit more if that makes sense that's our plan anyway it's just to just to survive and grow and fingers crossed we'll be a charity in the next few months because the application's going in because that might make things a little bit more open in terms of funding avenues amazing no i think it's such an important topic. It's something that's obviously very close to my heart. And I think, you know, having having watched your journey over the last kind of number of years and seeing how it's it's kind of grown and, you know, everything from, you know, even just the the kind of the branding and, and the kind of everything that you do is just done with such consideration. And, you know, I've got absolute admiration for what you do. So thank you so much for your time today. And Peter looks like he's going to jump in and, and say no, something. Just, I was going to say thank you as well. It's been really nice. So thank you very much. Yeah. Oh no, thanks for having me. I've talked a lot there, sorry, but um no, it's good. I had my coffee and it kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. No, thank you so much, uh, Phil. Really appreciate it. And, uh, and and just best of luck with everything. We we really hope everything goes well over the summer and um and beyond. And the cottages sound amazing. So no brilliant. Oh thanks. Got my fingers crossed that all comes together. This podcast was brought to you by Purpose Made a strategic change consultancy supporting people and business to navigate the post-pandemic global society. This is what transformational change sounds like. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe and we'll see you again for the next episode. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.